Blog Talk Radio. Another episode of Race Chat Live. We've got uh, my partners in crime here ready to join us as well. Taz Taylor and Craig Moore. We do appreciate uh, you guys for listening to the show here tonight. We've got a lot in store, man. A uh, couple of weeks hiatus for, for me, I believe. Uh, yeah. A week hiatus yeah. uh, from some of the uh, from, from the other two guys. So uh, we got a lot to catch up on. Oh, man, what a weekend it was, the Coca-Cola 600. I don't know about y'all, but I pulled the trifecta. It was Monaco for the morning breakfast. It was Indy 500 for lunch, and then for supper, ooh, it was a full-course meal. I promise you, that Coca-Cola 600 has been rated the best Coca-Cola 600 ever. And I really cannot wait tonight to discuss why. Why was that race? popular why was that the most popular coca-cola 600 race ever i i I cannot wait to hear my colleagues and uh their uh their input on that uh as well so uh without further ado i'll bring on uh mr taz taylor craig moore how the hell are you guys y'all doing all right today it's a beautiful tuesday in mississippi hope that it's beautiful where you are as well well, it is here in sunny South Florida until the rains come in. Yeah, I hear y'all are uh, uh, getting prepared now for a hurricane, right? Yeah, buddy. Days, but, uh, better latch better the hatches. Yeah, they're saying probably uh, Friday. All right. We're yeah. already talking about time. Yes, sir. 
So uh, hopefully the, you've gotten if you if you listen to the show now and you went to the website. Uh, it was our mistake. We did not post the link until about a few minutes before the show. So if y'all would get out there and uh, hopefully share the show, that way people will know that uh, we're back on the air tonight. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, uh, we're going to try to get as many listeners as we can. Um, Tad's kind of working with uh, – yeah, he's got a little little baby that's kind of cranky at the moment. So, uh, man, I mean, I don't know where to kick things off here tonight. Uh, definitely uh, – you know, there's so much that's uh, gone on in the last couple of weeks. A pretty, we can hit pretty much on the uh, all-star race real quick. It was crappy uh, when you have uh, a race like Texas, and then you turn around and have a race like the Coca-Cola 600. You understand the complaints. But I'm going to tell you right now, race fans, you can't always have what we had this past weekend. And if you did, you would eventually get bored with it, and you would find some reason to complain because that's what DARFs do. And, you know, if you're a dumbass race fan, uh, then you'll find some reason to complain. But that was a great thing that I, that I took from this weekend, Craig Moore. Uh, there wasn't very much complaining about the action out on the racetrack. No, not at all, Chris. Not at all. The action was, the action was good. Um, I think Chaz was trying to say something. I'm not 100% sure. But... From what I've seen in the 600, it was uh, it was a great race. I did not make it to the end. I ended up tapping out. I don't know, probably uh, uh, partway through the third. I ended up falling asleep. But it was a record-setting 18 cautions for sure. And now we know why. Yeah, I mean. Um... So you, you you said the sleepiness. I can get that. It lasted a lot longer on the East Coast time. Generally on a Sunday night, your body's prepared for a Monday morning wake up. Some people had to go to work Monday. Some people did not. Uh, starting the race earlier in the day uh, could be uh, something to look into. But also, I, I, how you felt it's in the middle of the this great race uh, it's beyond me but i do understand it's east coast time and versus versus central coast central time central zone time whatever you want to call it but i mean there there was literally if you went to the kitchen or you went to the bathroom uh we were in the pool for the first part first basically you know uh, 200 laps of the race we were in the pool so every time i ducked my head under the water and come back up it was uh somebody spinning or wrecking um but you know, typically we wouldn't have 18 cautions either. So that was an extreme amount of cautions that we're not relatively used to. Uh, Craig, you, you remember since we've been on the show, Martin Truex Jr. went out there and led like 392 laps one time. And it was the most boring yeah. freaking race we've ever seen in our life. And so, you know, it, you would want to move up the, the time. But look, you know, if, if some people on the East Coast happen to fall asleep before the race was over, you know, we understand that, that that's going to happen from now and then. Look, I'm sure on the East Coast side that the, the year that Eli Manning, I mean, Peyton Manning come back and beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, I, I'm sure a lot of people went to bed that night and woke up the next morning with a big surprise that uh, that, that Peyton Manning did one of the most, the, the biggest comebacks in history uh, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on a Monday night football game. So it happens. And, uh, you know, we understand that. And sometimes that's just what we're faced with. Uh, when 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 you're working class people, 
but what made what made this race so gosh dang lovable, guys? I mean, was it the wrecks? Was it the action? Because listening to XM Radio, you know, wasn't we only get one side of the the camera view, right? But but from what everybody said, Dave Moody and them, they, look, there was racing all over the racetrack all night long. What set this race aside that made it so much better? Because we, we with the Brickyard, where every 10 laps you had a blowout tire and had to have a competition caution, that was the worst race ever. This race had 18 cautions. It was a lot of people wrecking, a lot of people blowing out, a lot of dive-bomb moves that, you know, really make you scratch your head. But this is the type of racing we have now. What made this race so special? I don't, I don't know if Kaz is ready or not, or if he's waiting for you. Thirteen different leaders in that race. Probably what sold it. Yeah. Before Craig answers, there was thirteen different lead leaders. There was tons of lead changes. Uh, one minute it was Kyle Larson's race to win. I, well, that was, you know, that was toward the end of the race. It was Trackhouse's race to win. Um, it, you know, it was a, a Ford running up front there for a little while. Uh, but you know, we got what we got um, there at the end with Denny Hamlin being uh, the man of attrition, and uh, uh, definitely, um, I think that that had something to do with Craig. I think. What made it exciting was, in fact, the lead changes and what, what you didn't know what was going to happen next. You didn't know who was going to blow out. You didn't know what was going to cause it. And that kept everybody on the edge of their seats. I remember commenting in the race thread, in our thread, about uh, the amount of cautions in the first stage. There was like four or five cautions within the first stage, and I said to uh, Miss Lee, I said, you're getting ready to see a record number of cautions this race. And, you know, I said it was going to be 10-plus. I didn't think it was going to be 15-plus. Right. Well, I, yeah, the, I don't think anybody could have guessed that the race would have turned out the way that it did. That leads me into, uh, Chad, do you want to follow up, follow up on that? Because I, my next question has to do with the tires and whether or not there's actually a tire issue. But, Taz, I want, I want you to go ahead and say what you had to say. Actually, that's kind of where I was going with that. So you hit a perfect mark. Because Craig mentioned you didn't know what was going to happen next, which is where the tire issue came. Well, I don't know if it was really tire issue or if it was just <laughs> different strategy. I think it's a mixture of both because – what was it? Very early on the race, Bubba spun, and then he's like slipped through the grass, and his tire just popped out of nowhere. But Chase Elliott and one other driver spun in the same spot that Bubba did, and basically did the same incident. But those tires didn't spin or pop, so I don't know if Bubba hit something, or the his tire, or if he had a faulty tire. Um, there were drivers like Kyle Larson and Ryan Blaney at one point in the middle of the race that were testing pit strategies uh, to try to get track position. That didn't really end up in their favor because Kyle Larson ended up spinning in turn four. Uh, Ryan Blaney was another one that kind of uh, had struggles after a few laps into the green flag run when he stayed out versus everybody pit.
Yeah. Um, as Miss Lee, so we we had an issue where some of our audio board is no longer loading up, and uh, so Miss Lee was kind of commenting on that as I was reading that uh, the, the tire issue, like Taz said, I, I don't know if we can so much call it an issue. I think that for the last several years, NASCAR, the reason why we made this change to this car was because the racing had gotten stagnant, guys. And I think that we can agree with that, right? Versus the caution flags that we've had this year, it got so bad in, in, in NASCAR that they literally had to come up with stage racing just so that we had cautions, right? Because nobody spun out anymore. Nobody had flat tires anymore. Nobody had mechanical issues anymore. It was basically these endurance cars that were built to go beyond the endurance. And so a piece of our racing was actually stolen from us. And we're just now, guys, we're just now getting it back. You know, you've got all these different strategies going on. You've got different tire pressures. These engineers don't know this car from the inside out, Craig Moore, Taz Taylor. They, you know, they, they were so uh, – they, they could – it was, you know, basically uh, uh, um, the blind guy, uh, <laughs> Ray Orbison, could, could put one of these cars together last year and go out and, and make it a winner. This year – you really you're having to develop a race car once again, and so these different strategies are playing out like they are. Look, it's definitely something going on with the tire basically folding under itself on the right side. That's a, probably a tire tire pressure issue. Um, at least the cars are not stalling out on the racetrack anymore because they're on rock bottom. So whether or not we want to continue to say there is a tire issue, I think there's a pushing the envelope issue, and we learned that this weekend with Denny Hamlin and taking care of his race car through all three stages and then in the fourth stage, because he was a seven-and-a-half on back car, guys. He was seven-and-a-half on back. Like, he was not the front runner all night long. But he stayed just far enough back and just in that kill mode so that when it come down to the end of the race, he was there. He was there to, to, to pounce. And, uh, you know, he walks away the winner. He wasn't the only guy that we've seen pounce at the end. Uh, is there anything else about the tire issues that are not really tire issues that we should cover, guys, before we go off into the dive bombing issue that uh, a couple of guys did there on the uh, as, as the race was uh, finishing up? Hopefully, even though you guys went to sleep a little bit early, hopefully y'all seen the last 30 laps, right? I mean, y'all did catch it up on a, on a highlight reel, I'm hoping. I caught some of it, but not all of it. I mean, dive bombing. I mean, when you're towards the end of a long endurance race, your patience is only going to wear so thin at this point. If if we don't have anything else to, to follow up on the tires, once again, I don't think that it's a tire issue. I don't think it's a Goodyear issue. I think that this is a team issue. Who They're pushing the outer folds of what they used to have versus what they have now. The team now has to realize that they don't have the same tires that they had through the old race car. They're going to have to figure out the laps and the percentages of the tire that's being used. That's going to progress as the year goes on. These guys are going to get a notebook eventually, Pat. I think with – I think, like I said, I think it's a little bit of both. It could have, There could have been a tire issue – but at the same time, I don't think it was. It was just 
on strategy and how drivers are using up tires. Like I said, it's just a little, I'm, I see this a little bit back and forth because I mentioned, like I mentioned with the whole uh, spinning ordeal, Bubba, three drivers, uh, three or four drivers spun in the same spot in turn four, did the same thing. Bubba was the only one that had the pop tire, but so if he has a pop tire, why does nobody else's pop? You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of, it's, I think it's back and forth, but um, easily de- it could go back and forth on this kind of like debate discussion type deal. But um, right. I just find it funny that the ti- that the tires become more of a problem on these mile and a half racetracks versus the rest of the track r- track types we've come to with the super speedways. Minus Daytona, because obviously that was the first race. Um. And then road courses and short tracks. We haven't really seen much of anything. Right. Craig, what's your comments on the their quotation tire issues? Goodyear problem, NASCAR problem, or just right for what we've got going on here? I think it's a Goodyear problem. I think Goodyear's got to figure it out. But here's another thing. Does NASCAR want it figured out? That's a good if- question, Craig. Because it makes for people to talk. Mm. Monday, Tuesday on XM, it was tire talk. Mm. Hmm. What? You didn't have, you really couldn't complain about racing. The racing was good. So what are we going to complain about? Tires. Why? Because that seemed to be the issue. I agree with Taz. There was a lot of people spinning out in the same spots. That happens. NASCAR, are they going to look into the tire issue? If I was a betting man, I would say absolutely not because controversy creates cash. That's right. You're going to tune in. You're going to tune in to see it. See, I love that because now this is going to lead into the next thing that we just hinted on a minute ago. Controversy creates cash. (laughs) These guys, they are of no holds bar, right? They They are on it. And the only the, the only way that they feel like they've got a guaranteed chance in that chase is by picking up a win. But you've got Chase Briscoe, who tr- tried to outdrive Kyle Larson. I'm gonna be honest with you guys; it's pretty hard to outdrive Kyle Larson. It's even harder to outdrive Kyle Larson and a Hendrick car that's been put in a tornado, twisted around 17 times, slammed in the wall 12 times, and still two seconds faster than the rest of the field. So with, with that said, Chase Elliott tried to make a name for himself once again for that going for that second win of the season. He jumps down to the bottom. There's no way that he's going to make it. The spotter tells him he's clear. Come up, come up. But he did not. He backs out of it. He does it again. He slides up. He he uh, he, he wrecks. Blows his chance for a win. Guys, is is, is that the the necessity because it didn't stop there, right? That wasn't the only dive bomb that we've seen. Later on, a rhinestone cowboy. Now, I'm not going to lie, Taz Taylor. When he dove down to the bottom, I started singing like a rhinestone cowboy. And I know that you went da-da-da. And, uh, well, by the time you got the da-da-da out, uh, uh, Austin Dillon was nose first into the wall. But this was I a, this was bold moves. Listen, whenever this season, ever since I put out on the line, because because Austin Dillon's nickname for us, anyways, 
um, is the Rhinestone Cowboy. And whenever, whenever he gets up to the front, all I can think of is, all I can do is kind of like panic because, you know, we don't want to kill the show anymore than you know, what the show kind of kills itself with. But that's besides the point. So I get into panic mode and hoping to God he doesn't win. So that way there, you know, because I made the nice little friendly thing of opening my mouth saying that if Austin Dillon wins, I have to open up the show as Rhinestone Cowboy. And I don't want to kill the show yet. I was sure singing it when he went down to the bottom, and you can't blame him. And you know what, guys? Austin Dillon, Chase Chase did what he had to do, and then he kept from wrecking Kyle Larson, which I give kudos to Chase. I'd rather wreck myself than wreck me and and the leader because then then you've taken away that you thought you could win, and you've taken it from somebody else as well. He took – Chase Briscoe took himself out of that race. He'll finish with a top ten finish, which is unbelievably awesome. Uh, Christopher Bell had a late race spin as well and still finished in the top ten. Just, uh, just you know, heroic moves there by those two drivers to be able to come back. But anyway, uh, back to the Austin Dillon, Chase Briscoe situation. Look, it is all about the Ws, baby. It is all about the Ws. They're like, uh, what was uh, J- Jameis Winston out there eating Ws. That's what they look like, guys. They look like Jameis Wilson out there eating Ws off their knuckles, okay? They feel like this is the only way to please my sponsors is by putting my car where it could maybe not supposed to go. And you know what? Austin Dillon had the – he had the position clear. Larson did not check up enough, didn't give him the room. You know, why would Larson? He turned into – well, I, didn't, I wouldn't say Larson turned into Dillon, but he definitely didn't try to back out of it, caught the quarter panel set him directly head first into the wall. You cannot blame these guys for doing this. It added to the excitement. What's your thoughts? We'll start with you, Craig. Craig, Craig's going to be unavailable for a bit. He's getting on his little uh, nice fancy motorbike down there in Florida. Right, right. Okay. That's, I mean, that's just, you know, that's awesome, right? I mean, we're in the middle of a... <laughs> but anyway, Chaz, come on. He's on his way home from work, so, but anyways, um, Larson, Larson tried, Larson tried stopping the problem, but, I mean, once you start the problem, sometimes you just can't stop them until it resolutes, it kind of resonates itself, because that's just how racing works. All right. Well, I mean, you know, when you don't have uh, your partners to discuss the discussion side of this, you'll just have to move on to the next thing I want to talk about. I want to talk about Chris Busher's wreck. Oh my God, that was violent. I'm trying. I'm trying to figure out where did something on the right front break. Like, when did it break? Because I'm not sure if it broke on impact or if it hit or if it broke when he got into the grass. I'm, I think it's where I get confused. Well, it, you could see that the front clip had kind of gotten loose, I think, uh, because in the, remember in the beginning, well, if, if you didn't watch it live, you didn't know. So in the very beginning of the wreck, nobody could really figure out what had happened. The first thing that you thought was, oh, my gosh, remember Carl Edwards? He hit that drain pipe, and it tore, tore the whole front end of the race car up. 
you know, yep. Busher must have found that drain pipe. But when they continued to do the replay, and I think, you know, maybe some of us at home probably realized it before they did on TV, that the under, when the, when the front suspension dug into the ground when he went off into the turf, you could see pieces just racketing off of the race car. And uh, and it's kind of an explosion. And the next thing you know, the tire disappears under the wheel well, and uh, you know, over she goes. And that that wasn't that wasn't a Talladega flip test. That was a destructive, hard inertia filled wreck. That that yep. you can tell that that was not a lazy lazy rollover. That was that was very violent. That was a violent flip. Um, it's it's it's. I don't know if it's because of the race car. I don't know if it's because of the condition, why it flipped, or how it flipped. But generally, we see kind of a layover of these race cars. We don't see much of the flipping down the backstretch like we did with Rusty Wallace and Davy Allison and Bobby Allison and Kale Yarbrough. and Hurt too. Now, we, right. We haven't seen that here of late. Uh, but this was a situation where, you know, obviously the wheel went under the undercarriage. Now, with that, with that, there's nowhere for that tire to dig into anymore, right? So, uh, you know, it, it went up underneath the race car and it turned it into a violent flip. I, I don't know where to go with this because um, safety is my number one concern. I cannot wait to find out what the G-forces were. When the car went into its flip, I, I think that that was probably one of the hardest flips that we've seen since Michael McDowell at Texas. Taz, I'll let you take it from there. Well, the safety aspect that upset in me wasn't so much of what broke in the car to, that could have caused the car to like dig into the ground and just drastically flip violently. Well, the safety thing that irritates me in a sense is because is Chris, you would understand this as well, obviously, like going to dirt track racing, and I know this is not dirt track racing, but I'm going to use this as the best example. Usually when rollovers happen, if a car lands on his roof, the medical team and the driver, you know, try to get out of the car as soon as possible, just because you, you never know what happens. You don't know what what kind of uh what kind of oils or something could be leaking while the car is upside down that could, you know, catch fire and becomes and become more of a problem. And of course, usually when you have the driver inside the car to roll the car back over, you have to be very gentle. Otherwise, if you screw something up or something just gives, you're going to jerk the driver around when you're going to injure them even more than what they probably already have at the moment. So, the problem that I see is that when they're explaining it, these next-gen cars are so snug for these drivers that they even said that it's, it can be difficult at times to get in and out of the car on a normal basis. And because of that, they couldn't get Chris Buescher out of the car while he was upside down. So they had to roll the car over. Thankfully, it was all nice and gentle. Nothing happened bad to make things worse. But in my perspective, I should see it as Busher should have gotten out of the They should have told Busher to get out of the car because God only knows what could be going on with the car. Yeah, the car could be shut off, but you never know what's, what could be leaking or what could cause something to make it worse than what it already is. So I think NASCAR should, 
I think NASCAR and the safety team needs to look at, you know, while we can keep these drivers snug, we should look into the point where how can we get the driver out of the car in these types of incidents? So that way there, we don't have this issue later. Taz, I want to follow up with what you said there because I, I immediately was concerned that if this car happened to be on fire and the driver happened to be injured, how do we save this driver? Of course, those are two situations that were not arise, had not arised in this situation. But we have to think about what if in this situation. And what if that car had caught on fire? What if that driver was injured? Because if the car's on fire, then you expect the driver to be able to pull the seatbelt, fall, fall to the roof, and get out of the car. Now, if that driver has a spinal injury or a neck injury or anything to that, you can't risk dropping the driver out of the seat. So they, they let us believe that there shouldn't be any concern here. Mike Joy did because he said, look, uh, they would already had Chris out of the car, but he's okay. And so they're going to gently lay it back over. I've been at the dirt tracks for a long time, and I have seen this move many times, Taz, many times with leaving the driver in the race car. Um, during the rollover, and, and, and you know, even when you have 12, 14 guys out there who are flipping the race car back over uh, using a forklift, they, they do it as, as gently as possible. And, and most, for the most part, uh, it is the fastest way. And it, most of the time, the driver w- literally just does just wants to get turned back over so that he can go back. We even had a guy named Josh Baines who uh, played uh, played baseball at the uh, University of Louisiana Lafayette. I believe that's where he plays. But anyway, he rolled over one night, never got out of the car, finished in the top five or top three uh, at the end of the night. He, they, they rolled the car back over. He went right back out there. You would think all the oil and everything and floated out of the pistons. No, he was perfectly fine. He was able to finish the race, top three finish. Anyway, we've seen this before. My concern, Taz, is the what if. What if these certain situations weren't like they are? What if we were dealing a situation like we were dealing with with the uh, with the Ryan? Newman? This is twice that a car has been upside down. Uh, that's right, Ryan Newman's car was upside down, right? It was upside down at the end, or was it back? It was it back on all fours. No, uh, it was upside down. I'm pretty sure it was upside down. So they have this capsule for getting out of the roof, right? But when the roof's on the on its on uh, when the when the roof's on its lid, uh, you, you can't use that. So, um, yeah, that's, you know, it, it's definitely a, a safety issue that I'm concerned about. Uh, of course, this wasn't one of those issues where you didn't have fire, you didn't have the driver injured, but what if, what if that situation passed? Repeat the situation again, Chris. It, what, what do we do in that? I mean, are you comfortable? Are you confident that, uh, that this car is, is, is up to safety par, and that if the driver was in any worse position than what he is, than what he was, what Chris Busher was, then you know, where, how, how do we handle the situation? Is the car safe? Do you believe the car is safe? I think the car is safe. I just think because obviously we're seeing we're seeing a lot less damage, I believe, in terms of it but i just i just see it as the it's uh, it's safe to have the driver snug but at the same time 
I see it in the situation where regardless of anything, unless the driver actually asks for it, um, I think there should be a way to get the driver out of the car, regardless of anything, if it, if they're upside down, like Busher was. They're, they're strapped into these seats. You know, Taz, they, they they really don't have the mover move, movability, and and you can't have the best of both worlds with limited mobility and still mobility, right? Because you want these guys to not be able to be twisted and slammed around the race car. That's why these seats are made the way that they are. But in a situation where they're upside down, that driver needs to be able to get out of that car as quickly as possible in case of something going wrong. I think you and I both agree on that. But what can NASCAR do? Because Chris Buescher, he's not a Justin Algier. He's not a Brad Sweet. He's, he's, he's not Dale Jr. Chris Buescher is a good-sized boy. He's, he, he's, he's well-fed, and, uh, and he has, you know, he's got the structure of a country boy. Um, you, know, uh, he's, you know, maybe he would he or maybe he wouldn't have fit out of, that, out of that window. That's the question. I hope NASCAR takes this car back to R&D. And I hope that they examine it just like you would examine an aircraft that has gone down. I want every bit of information from this car as we can because this has been the most violent wreck to date um, that I feel like. And and if NASCAR feels like that, you know, everything went good and, and parts and pieces come off like they should, and I, I just, you know, I'm so used to seeing these bodies fold and the front panels get crushed in, the back panels get crushed in. This car didn't seem to fold the way that most race cars did and, and you know you see sheet metal falling off with their composite bodies now Taz is there I mean is it anything outside of just the composite bodies did you not notice that the car did not it did not fold it did not crush the way that we normally see these cars when they're wrecked like that I would say that's the most violent wreck since Newman at Daytona, I think. I think Newman's was a little bit worse. But you can argue that, you know, Busher's is the most violent wreck in recent memory because because it was more of a natural versus a Daytona type deal. But um, I don't know. I just – I think the car is safe, but I just – I just see it as when they bring it back to the R&D designer, I think they're going to look at what failed and they're going to look at the impact that happened because Suarez, I'm sorry, he I don't think he had a full-on set straight story because according to one of the radios, um, I don't remember who it was to. I think it was to Briscoe. Briscoe's uh, team communication said that Suarez was loose but Suarez said in in the interview that he was tight. So was he loose or was he tight? That that remains a question. And then Todd Gillen came in and bulldozed him on the left rear uh, because he had nowhere to go at that speed. And then with um, and then with Busher, he just had nowhere to go. He was trying to avoid. He just ended up taking a ride for it, but. But where it, where things started to break for him is where I'm concerned is did it break on impact and just failed because it hit so hard at a fast speed? 
or did it break on its own? And that's where they should look into the fact of what that that's where it should be. NASCAR should be concerned about where did it break and how did it break? Yeah, the wheel. But I think the car. I think the car is relatively safe. I mean the. I mean, at first, when they were doing all these tests, at one point it wasn't because Dale Jr. did admit these, that these cars were not safe, that he wouldn't even try to strap into a car, not even for a test run. And then when they upgraded the safety aspects, what did Dale Jr. do? He got into a test run. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, that's... Like uh, Craig just said, uh, nobody was killed, nobody was injured, so the car did its job. Uh, that is that is true to that fact, uh, but uh, there is still a level of concern on how quickly uh, one of these drivers can get out of the race car upside down in that type of situation. You can't you can't uh, build it as skate patch coming out of the bottom of the race car. Um, <laughs> I just don't see that happening uh, anytime soon. So. Um, I do want to uh, reiterate that, uh, that, uh, that I believe that there could still be an issue with that. I mean, Taz, as you said, there's not very much room in the race car um, as is. So uh, we just want to see, we want to make sure that drivers can get out as quickly as possible. So we are a few minutes over our, uh, our normal time, and we have kind of basically been a hot topic uh, since the beginning of the show. Um, I guess uh, as soon as we get our teammate back, we can go into black flag, checker flag. Uh, but uh, is there any? Um, is there any? Uh, oh my God, <laughs> Miss Lee, you reminded me of a old cartoon NASCAR show called NASCAR Racers. I used to be. Oh God. Oh God. This 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 is gonna show my age some Fox Kids I think like in the late nineties or early two thousands I think it was when uh, drivers would get into a wreck they had like this like little little rescue racer that pops out of the car so you know drivers were safe and only the car got damaged and their little like driver pod that acted as like a little mini racer um, wouldn't have any damage or anything. <laughs> I hear you. Miss Lee did say, um, is that a bad thing, Chris, that nothing buckled in the manner that kept Chris protected? Well, Miss Lee, we got to move on from this, but I do want to say that, yes, in the past, what we've noticed with race cars is they're built to shred away. So each part and piece that they were to shred away uh, keeps the, um, the amount of violence that happens there in the cockpit. So, where the front end would basically just get sheared away. That was by design. The rear end would get sheared away. That was by design because it would basically, it would absorb the uh, amount of force that the car was being given. But now with these three link race cars where the front end bolts to the middle of the chassis and the rear end bolts to the, to the, to the center of the chassis, you know, you, you just don't have, that much uh, breakaway now from the race car. Maybe it's the composite bodies, but either way, um, I, I feel that this car is a safe car. And I'll say that once again, uh, I feel that it is a safe race car. My concern situation with Chris Busher upside down is 
is there a fast, efficient way to get that driver out in case of a worst-case scenario? So, um, uh, but uh, you you did definitely show your age there, Tad, uh, with the uh, about the uh, the cartoon that you were just uh, speaking of. Um, Craig Moore, are we getting him back anytime here real soon? All right, so we don't know yet. Um, hot topics. We'll stay on this for a minute more. Uh, Taz, do you have anything to, to take away? Maybe maybe Jimmy Johnson. You know, Jimmy Johnson, he did lead a lap at the Indy 500. Your takeaway from the Indy 500, Taz Taylor. Uh, Oh, sorry. I just realized that. Anyways, um, Jimmy Johnson, he impressed me a lot before the actual race. Um, as for during the race, I had it on with the, I turned, I didn't get to watch the full race. Um, I had it on for like a few laps. I think with a plow. Oh, shut. Um, I think it was about. 50, 60 laps to go, I think it was, I want to say. I don't know. He didn't really full-on, like, impress me. Like, he had had such great momentum, and I thought he would have been, like, one of the top cars, not only the – one of the top cars that could, you know, be easily put in the top five and top ten. But I was like, maybe he has a small shot of winning, and just it never, it didn't come into fruition. I was just surprised. Yeah. So, you know, being that you've seen the fast time that you did the, in the top twelve and all, I think, we, and and his finish at Texas, the top five finish at Texas, I had a lot of high expectations coming in. But I did start to notice a few days before the race that a lot of talk started getting getting around that people were nervous that Jimmy Johnson was going to get hurt. And I know how – so you have drivers like Kyle Busch that you don't really know much about their personal life. You, you know, um, he seems, you know, brass and kind of a jerk. That's quite the opposite of Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson, though we don't know much about him on a personal level, the guys in the garage do. And, you know, Dale Jr. and Jimmy Johnson were hella friends. Like, you know, Dale Jr. had Jimmy Johnson in his crib before Jimmy Johnson even won his first championships. Um, They had a lot of hangout time together. And so as the race was, you know, being teammates, Stevie Latar. As the race was getting closer, I just kept hearing more and more, like on even on the Dale Jr. download, you know, him and Mike Davis talking about it. And Jr. was like, I think I need to tell Jimmy that he needs to he needs to be, you know, cautious. And he needs to kind of, you know, not not get over overly done like we've seen Jimmy do a lot of times. And, and I just kind of wonder if maybe that didn't take the, the drive out of Jimmy, that people were afraid his friends were – literally afraid that he was going to get hurt and knowing that when you have good friends they don't just say things behind your back Dale Jr. said I want to tell Jimmy while he's doing a podcast right I want to tell Jimmy 
that maybe he needs to be a little bit careful because I'm concerned about him. Well, guess what, Dale Jr.? You just told Jimmy Johnson because somebody listened to the podcast and they were like, holy crap, let me call Jimmy real quick because Dale Jr. is afraid that Jimmy might get hurt. So I don't know if we've seen, you know, Jimmy Johnson all out there at first. Uh, You know, he seemed to run 17th to 25th. Uh, through most of the race. Then some cycle pit stops happened. He stayed out. He led a lap. And like Dale Jr. said, it's, uh, that he was afraid that, you know, he would be over-aggressive. And after leading that lap, that's kind of exactly what I believe happened, Taz. I think he got over-aggressive, and he went out there, and he, he knocked the wall down. I don't know. I... I was really hoping, like you said, I was really hoping huge for Johnson for this one. I After the Texas result, I was like, all right, when he hits the ovals, you know, the NASCAR experience is going to, you know, come in and and his crew is going to, you know, make the changes he needs to get, you know, to get him to where he can perform. And I knew the road courses, he'd be, road street courses, he'd be terrible before he even started the first race of IndyCar. But after Texas and seeing that he was, you know, fastest in practice, top, one of the top cars in qualifying and was very close for making the top, the final six and whatnot, I was just like, this guy's got a legit shot. And then just didn't show for it. And I was, I was quite, as a Jimmy Johnson fan, I was quite upset. But if I had to become a realist, unfortunately, I would just say, sit on Miss Lee and be like, that's nothing new coming out of Jimmy Johnson for any time. Before we move on to uh, JRM and their dominant uh, uh, performance this weekend in Charlotte, um. Does that not make Kurt Busch that much more of a badass? Kurt Busch? Of course, because Kurt Busch went and ran the Indy 500, got a top five finish, bro. And he didn't spend a whole year running around in Indy cars. The guy literally showed up, went to went to fuel day, went to uh, whatever it's called there, um, carburetor day, and, and showed up and showed out and then went home with a top five finish. When he went and did it, does that make Kurt Busch that more badass? I would say a little bit. I don't know how much more you want to say. Well, I still have not been able to harp about Jumpman making it to Victory Lane because, well, we went to the Dave Matthews Band concert that Tuesday night, and so I'm still on this Kurt Busch kick. And I just felt like at the end of the night, at the end of the race there at the Indy 500, how significant now that makes the Kurt Busch finish, being that Jimmy Johnson's rode around all year in one of these cars, and Kurt Busch literally stepped into one and come home with a top five. You you have to put Kurt Busch into the level of Robbie Gordon and Tony Stewart when you're talking about uh, doing uh, the IndyCar, the, the double, or anything like that. Because And not to take away from Jimmy Johnson, but Jimmy never showed the speed all, all, all day long. So... Um, I feel like that that furthermore furthermore points the fact that Kurt Busch is one of the best racers ever uh, in NASCAR, and I know it's debatable, but uh, um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm going to stick to that. So let's talk about the JRM performance there at Charlotte as we're still waiting on our teammate to get uh, home and get part of the show. 
Uh, let's uh, let's talk about uh, Josh Berry picking up the win at Charlotte. Uh, man, oh man, has anybody got any yeah, he, in your motorsports cars? Yeah, JRM had a hot streak for this race. I didn't I didn't get to watch the race unfortunately, but I did like keep following with it. So I kind of so I kind of knew roughly where everyone was kind of performing as I look back at the race results and whatnot. Um, yeah, JRM, what a showing for them. And before we get too much further into JRM, can we highlight Ryan Priest, who took a BJ McLeod card that's not competitive pretty much 98% of the time and ran top five with that freaking card? Are you kidding me? Why is he not signed to anywhere competitive, competitively full-time? I don't care what series in the main, in the main three. This guy's putting – he's like the Ross – in a sense, he's kind of like Ross Shastain when Shastain was running the, in these lower series, trying to get into the cup series. You put, you put him in – he's a guy that puts non-competitive equipment in places where it shouldn't be. And then when you put him in competitive equipment, he's running it up front in, in competition for wins in top five easily. Ryan Priest is doing the same damn thing. We're so easily fooled, Taz. We're so easily fooled. We have the wool pulled right over our, 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 our sunglasses, man. Because I'm going to tell you, that was the same car that Riley Herbst is driving. That was the same car that Cole Custer won in. This is a Stuart Haas race car that's in the Xfinity Series. This is the same race car that Riley Herbst keeps wrecking every darn week. So it's it's it, yeah I mean it's B.J. McLeod's charter or his you know his come out of his race shop or whatever but we know that Ryan Priest is getting financial backing from Ford Stuart Haas so Stuart Haas is basically making sure that uh, that that Ryan Priest is showing up in competable competable uh, uh, race cars now you know how competable he was competable he was in the 15 machine and the Cup level. Uh, you know, it, it had to have been better than a Rick Ware race car, but how much better is the question, I guess. Uh, being that that was B.J. McLeod's race team, come on, man. you gotta under, you got to know, Taz, that they pulled the same thing that they did with Cole Custer over at uh, SS Green Motorsports. Or what, did I say that right? Because I know that used to be the name of the team. Uh, but anyway. Um, yeah, I know where you're going Custer with that. Won, yeah, when Cole Custer won earlier this year, I believe that was the same race car. Uh, you know, it was just it was just thrown with uh, with the, the number five decals on there. But what it does say is Riley Herbs is not going to make it. <laughs> I think that 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 is clear. He I needs clearly he, now. He needs seat time. Oh. He needs huh? some seat time, and and I I have to say this, but Ryan Priest is easily a front runner to hop in the Stuart Haas car in the Cup Series next year. Alma Roll is retiring, so the 10 car is easily open. So Ryan Priest can step into there. Or if I were, say, to be like um, Cole Custer or Kevin Harvick was on the verge of retirement, you with one of those two, you've got to be thinking, hey, Ryan Priest is knocking on the door for my ride. So what do I got to do? I mean, Harvick, you can't. He doesn't really have that mindset, but it, he's got to in so, somewhere down the line because he ain't performing as well as we know he can. 
Oh, wow. You're bringing up the Harvick issue. When Ricky Stenhouse can talk mess about you, um, that's, that, that's a problem. Ricky Stenhouse is represented by Kevin Harvick Incorporated, which is now not a race car team but a, uh, uh, an agency. Um, that's, that's who represents him is uh, Kevin Harvick. It's not just whispers in the garage anymore of what Kevin Harvick's performance. It is literally being discussed now on open-air radio. Um, it's funny that you brought this up, Taz Taylor, because there is a point in time, just like Jimmy Johnson, where you no longer have that. We, we heard Kevin Harvick in a few interviews talk about how he's changed as a race car driver because of his son. Is, I mean, is this the deterioration? Are we going to see a bounce back? Can we put the nail in the coffin? What really is going on here with Kevin Harvick? I I really don't know, but like I said, if you're Harvick, I mean, he could be on the verge of retirement at this point if he hasn't been already. But if I were to say him or Cole Custer, you got to be thinking in the back of your mind, while, yeah, there's a 10-car open, you have to also think someone could replace me easily when I'm not – when I'm not ready to give up my rider, I'm not you know, one of those. I'm not ready for whatever reason it could be. Like Ryan Priest is knocking on the door here, folks. Yeah, if but he I, hasn't I proven if he hasn't proven it already, then he's he's gonna, and I wouldn't even give it very much. Well. Um, so that's, you know, and the reason why we got on the pre-subject, we were talking about Xfinity. We're talking about JREM and the dominant performance that they've been able to put on here lately. Um, at one point in time, it was Al Gear, It was uh, uh, Barry. Uh, it was Mayer. Uh, Gregson seemed a little bit off this week. I'm not sure. Uh, maybe there was an incident that I missed or something like that. I myself well, was a little bit busy during the Xfinity race. I caught bits and pieces of it. Uh, well, but, the uh, I did see JRM JRM finished one two three while same mayor was sixth in stage one. Then you look at stage two; it was Algar, Barry, Mayer, the top three. Uh, Gregson, I think, kind of took a quick nap in stage two because he didn't finish top ten. And then at the race's end, uh, Barry with the win, Sam Mayer, Gregson in the top. Five finishing third and fourth, and Algier was seventh. So I mean, there's yeah, some, Don. there's some, and and, and another notable performance should, that should be mentioned is Trevor Bain in the 18, who uh, didn't finish top ten in stage one, but in stage two was top five and finished uh, finished ninth in the race. And that's and another the, guy. I, that's another guy I think that may have possibly got screwed out of competitive equipment. But I don't want to. I don't want to put my foot on a dangerous situation because I want to see more out of him before I say put this guy in competitive equipment full time. Right. Right. Truck series. Who who was the winner there? Uh, um, remind me real quick. Who was the winner in truck series? Oh, Ross Chastain, but... Um, oh, yeah, the cup. I can that, man. All right, Ross. 
you know, you've made yourself a couple wins. Stay the hell out of the truck series, okay? Uh, that was almost won by somebody else. I'm trying to recall. That was all. It was a good race. Uh, Chastain won it on the last lap. It was somebody else that was a that was that was oh, running. Oh, oh, it was it was something between oh an altercation between Ryan Priest and Carson Hosevar. Ah, uh, yes, Hosevar was leading. He was coming down to the end, right? And then and then he ran out of time. Yeah. And and Priest and Hosevar tried saying that it was Priest's fault. Priest is like going off like it's no tomorrow. And he even made, made like a little PSA on the spot saying, "Kids, this is not how you drive." Type deal. I was like, "This is great." Right. Right. Well, I mean, uh, you know, once again, it's a disappointment that uh, a Cup regular takes home a, a checkered flag and a, and a little in a in a uh, one of the 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 other series. Um, it is so nice to have uh, identity for the truck series, identity for the Xfinity series. Ross Chastain, I know that that's how you got where you are today, but man, you know, leave that for the guys who are trying to become the next Ross Chastain, because you got that by being able to run up front, by being able to capture some victories, and now you're basically robbing it from the next person who may have that opportunity. That's just my personal opinion. Uh, you know, it's uh, yeah, I'm in time. Now, I'm going to do, because Kyle Busch ran this race, and he wasn't a, in, he wasn't a big front runner. He finished seventh. Um, but he... I think the in comparison to Ross versus Kyle Busch, we all know what Kyle Busch is capable of, regardless of whatever car he's in, whatever equipment he's in. We all know. We all know he can put the car, put a car up front, and do the, do anything he can to keep it there, and he can just wheel the damn, damn thing. But the one thing that comparison to Kyle Busch versus Ross Chastain is that Kyle Busch right now, I think he's running the truck series, even though it's only five races, he, he can only run. Um, I think with Kyle Busch, though, I think he's trying to, he's trying to help set up Toyota for the long run. He's trying to, because he knows that, when drivers are come are graduating from ARCA, we'll we'll put it that way, he's the next step in line in the Toyota camp. So he's like the first person to prep these guys, these drivers, if they want to go up to the cup level. And I think with the veteran experience that Kyle Busch has, yeah, he's got a decent number of years left in him for cups, as far as we know. Um, I think – He's at the point where he's kind of playing the coach, but he's going to coach you on the track. Right. Whereas Ross Chastain, he's got a whole career ahead of him. And I think if he – we all know the red hot streak he's got in the Cup Series. And I think he, the Truck Series, you know, he, he should limit himself in that part. Because if he's red hot in the Cup Series, you know he's going to, come, he's going to be red hot in, in a lower series easily. Right. And well, guys, other drivers they're trying to make a name for themselves. It's the top of the hour. You know what time that is. It's stat of the race. We're not going to call it stat of the day anymore. We're going to call it stat of the race. And boy, oh boy, we've got a good one. So Sunday's Coca Cola 600 uh, was something out of the ordinary. Uh, not a 
that was not ordinary, okay, out of the ordinary, I guess is the right word. After 18 cautions, only 20 cars were running at the end of Sunday's 620-mile contest. That's the fewest to finish a non-speedway race in Cup since Dover in 1991. That of the race. That of the race. That of the race. After 18 cautions, only 20 cars were running at the end of Sunday's contest. Wow. That was a big one that we didn't even discuss when Ryan Blaney turned in front of the field. We also didn't discuss Chase Elliott and his woes and the caution clock that uh, did not work in the favor of Chase Elliott, who probably could have finished the race had that next caution not come out and kept Chase Elliott from, uh, you know, basically getting up to speed. You want to discuss that real quick as we as we wait on our partner in crime to go because I think this week's supposed to be power rankings, but uh, we haven't. Uh, I don't know, so I don't know what's coming up in the next thirty minutes. But yeah, uh, we didn't we didn't we didn't submit power rankings for this month. I mean, we could have, but we didn't we didn't really fully prep ourselves for it. But that's that's all right. We I do believe we have uh, a free week coming. Uh, coming soon um maybe i think next tuesday is free as far as i know of um but i know the 14th i do believe i have to double check um i do believe the 14th of june we're gonna try to have um i kind of want to go over the guest schedule ahead of time since we're getting into june here uh, June 7th, we don't have a guest, but we're going to try to do a pop, our power rankings then. Uh, June 14th uh, is the Tuesday before our the first SRX uh, season. We're going to do a little homework assignment. We're going to give you guys a little treat of who do we feel from the en- entire 110 Nation. So that not only includes just us three uh, that co-host Race Chat Live, but also the two hosts from Southern Dirt Track Report on Thursday night, Artie and Jared, and plus Mr. CJ and Ms. Lee um, can chime in and give their assignment. So what the assignment was is that, and the reason why that it was assigned already is because you have to really think of process this. So basically become, think of drivers. Essentially we had to come up with five, but we can only name two. Um, on the show because of timing purposes. Uh, think of five drivers who have A, not had, did not race an SRX in 2021, B, um, are not even in the series this year for 2022. It could be any driver from any series. They have to answer the call when, if they were to give the offer of a ride. So Mark Martin essentially is out the window because we already know that. But, like, we can't say guys like Richard Petty or Dale Earnhardt because that's obviously impossible. So we have to, like, you know, use our brains, uh, think of who would be great uh, for SRX, and we have to explain why they would be great for SRX and what could SRX do for them in return, essentially. Can I I, I spoil mine? Because I know, like, five right off the top of my head. I mean, I, I could spoil the whole show right now. I could say names like Travis Pastrana, Lewis Hamilton. I could say names like Max Verstappen. I could say names. Oh, my God. I could go on and on and on. Scott Bloomquist. I could go on and on. You'll quiet down, Chris. 
Oh my God, David Gravel. Oh my God. How about how about how about Pendragon? Whatever. His name is. Hey. Oh my hey. God. I got so many names. How about that guy that goes uh, in a straight line over there in the uh, NHRA? What's his name? Oh yeah, John Force. Oh, 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 oh man, oh man, would that be a fun thing to do? Well, I can't wait for it, man. You know, no telling what names we'll pull out of the hat. Don't ruin it. <laughs> but um, Elvis Presley. Uh, we'll have. We are joined by. We will have a guest. Actually, no. Next Tuesday, we will have a guest. I'm sorry, we do have a guest next Tuesday. It is the announcer for the Short Track Super Series Cajun Region, Colin Bell. I did for oh. I don't know why how I forgot, but we do have him next week for our guest. So we'll wow. have to try to figure out how we're going to squeeze in power rankings next week. But that'll be that'll be off the show type deal. Um, anyways, June 21st, we'll be joined by Kyle Dingman up here in the Northeast, and then Ken Kinney for June 28th, uh, Craig Book, uh, Ken, I'm not sure who Ken is exactly, but um, we'll get to that point when we get closer to that date. So anyways, um, you do have a little bit of SRX news. Oh, yes, Camping World has announced today, along with SRX announcement too, Camping World has returned as the SRX title sponsor. That's right. So instead of the SRX series, we're now back to the Camping World SRX series. And Camping World will be on two cars, will sponsor two cars, and we'll, and we'll have its sister company, Good Sam, sponsor a car just like last year. So, uh, Good Sam will be behind uh, Tony Stewart this year. So Tony Stewart will not be in orange because Marco Andretti, who was sponsored by Fram this year, will be in the orange car, and Tony Stewart will be piloting the Good Sam red car. Camping World will sponsor two cars. One is going to be the black car of Ryan Hunter Rie, and the other one will have the shared drivers um, in the blue car of Ernie Francis Jr., Haley Deegan, and Matt Kenseth. All right. Well, that's a little bit of SRX news. I believe we have our teammate back. Uh, let's bring him on board so we can get our black flag checker flag because this was something that I've, uh, I have already had in thought, and I was not going to let this segment be missed here tonight because this is really one of my favorite segments. Not because – just because it's so short and sweet. Like, this is the moment where we, we literally don't have to fill up 20 minutes to try to explain how we have an opinion on something. Black flag, checkered flag is the most easiest segment in the world because we're just like, hey, this is the black, this is the checkered flag, and here's why real quick on, on both sides. Um, so without further ado, I hope that you guys have your black flag, checkered flag uh, ready. Uh, Taz, we'll start with you. All right, so my black flag, well, oh, boy. I don't even know where to begin on black flag. Well, we'll do checker flag quick. I think checker flag goes out to the next gen car because it's it gave us a great Coke 600 um, in recent memory. The 
Next Gen Car also did its job of keeping the driver safe, even though there's one little aspect that I personally think that they should look at. But for the most, basically for the most part, it kept the driver safe and uninjured. Um, as for as for Black Flag, oh boy. I'm not really sure if I have a black flag other than maybe Who's that good? Other than maybe maybe I would say Hendrick early dominance ended up killing them as the race progressed. What do you mean by that? Killing what? Killing killing those of us that can't stand Hendrick Motorsports? Yeah. No. Right. Through the middle well, of the race I was so over Hendrick Motorsports, as I, I said think, earlier. These, their cars think, can literally be sent into a tornado, dropped off in a hurricane, spun around 17 times, put in a figure eight, flipped upside down, turned right back side up, drained all the oil out of it, and they're still 2,000 miles an hour faster than everybody else on the racetrack. But go ahead. I think, well, if you're a Hendrick sort of hater, as Chris kind of basically explained, yeah, you, you got the killing part there, but I think the they hurt themselves in a sense that I think, well, you had William Byron and Chase Elliott get out early um, into the race. Then you had um, Kyle Larson who had his shining moments at where he had, basically the race was his and pretty much blew it. I mean, he got, he scaved the top 10 finish, but, and Alex Bowman, I mean, he was quiet. He wasn't really one that you'd name within a snap of a finger during that entire race at all. That's a good one. That's a good one. Now, Craig, if you need another minute, I can go ahead and give mine. But, uh, Craig Moore, you're you're up on deck, man. No, buddy, I got it. I'm going to give the checkered uh, flag to, to the hamster. Uh, oh, come on. For what? No, here's why. Here's why. I'm ready. His second win his second win of the season, guess what he did? He A secured his spot into the chase, B blocked somebody else from a first time win. Or blocked somebody from a second win to get themselves in. So good move on his part. Do I think that he's gonna capitalize on it? Hell no. He's gonna be the bridesmaid once again. My flag flag goes to Goodyear. They really need to figure out these tire things, this tire issue on the mile and a half tracks. Um, you know, because the chase is full of them. And we're not going to have to worry about it when we go back to Charlotte because we'll be on the Roval, but they're going to have to figure it out. I mean, it's it's detrimental. Um, it, it gives us something to talk about. It gives every other uh, racing show something to talk about, but it's expensive for the teams. My other checkered flag, because it's a two-part, and I have to agree with what Taz says, uh, the next-gen car for keeping uh, Busher safe because you can come up with as many means as you want for that, that wreck, but uh, that car did what it was designed to do, which was to keep the driver safe. And, you know, so that's, the that's reason, my checkered flag and black flag. The reason why we keep Craig around here is because, believe it or not, Craig was right on – my whole exciting checker flag, I can't wait to reveal. And then, not only did he present 
the name that I was going to present myself. But then he also furthered it by giving a second checkered flag to Taz's point. So my checkered flag, like, we'll go to black flag. Let's go to black flag first, okay? That's a little bit of radio tease. My black flag goes to the DARFs. Do y'all know what a DARF is? Everybody knows what a DARF is, right? No. No. Dumb, dumb, dumb race fan. Okay, I think I said ass a few times today, so I'm going to try to bleep it out at least once. So, dumb ass race fan, DARF. It, it was made. It was made significant by Bubba Wallace, my hero. So uh, I, I feel obliged to use that. And here's the reason why. All year long, all I've heard is these races are too long. They need to do something about the 500 mile races. They're too long. Kiss my behind, Darf. We had a 600 mile race. And it was action-packed from the time the, check, the green flag dropped to the checkered flag. Darfs, go somewhere else. Go follow Formula One. Go follow IndyCar where you can have an hour-and-a-half race and be uh, back on your whatever it is that you do on Sundays and, and not really enjoying uh, a, a great race. I don't have any more time for that. My, my black flag goes to all the Darfs, okay? That's just it. Now, now my checkered flag. My checkered flag goes to Denny Hamlin. Why? Because Denny Hamlin come off of a win with Kurt Busch. He goes and he starts crap with Jim France and says, my organization is not going to expand until you change the way that we make money in this sport. I am not going to invest another dollar into this sport until this sport shows that they appreciate my investment. He goes onto the Dale Jr. download and basically leaves it to the world that he told Jim France, I have a game plan here to run four teams, but until I have a plot that I'm going to build a four-man garage a four-team garage with, but until you change NASCAR and until you open the books up and you give us more money because the current structure does not work, I am not expanding my team. Then he comes out and he blasts Ryan Blaney and NASCAR, well, NASCAR in general, for the Texas fiasco. What, that, what was that fiasco? NASCAR did not penalize Ryan Blaney for dropping a window net, which was a safety issue, which was something that we uh, believe 100% in here on this show, and it was not even discussed tonight because we just didn't have time to put it in the topic. But wait, there's more. i still got to sell you something, right? Then Denny Hamlin turns around and he steals the win this weekend furthering the fact that he is a Hall of Fame driver without championships. He has 48 career wins, race fans. He now has three Daytona 500 wins. He has, what, two Darlington Southern 500 wins. And now he has the biggest of them all, the Coca-Cola 600. Well, I wouldn't say biggest over the Daytonas, but still, he's pulled out the triple, uh, the trifecta, of NASCAR. He's won all three premier events. And if you wanted to count the Brickyard, then that's fine. But a lot of people don't consider that one a staple event. Most people would go to Bristol. But he, he you, you're talking about Denny Hamlin. 
We call him two-finger Hamlin. We won't get into the reason why. I am calling him Big Kahunas now because Denny Hamlin come out on stage. He used his voice. Let me tell you something. In the age of vanilla racing over the last 20 years where the racers have become so vanilla and so corporatized, to hear Denny Hamlin come out and say it like it is, that the business model does not work, NASCAR screwed up at Texas, man, we're finally – I mean, hey, he must be nearing the end of his career because he's definitely having a hard time keeping his mouth shut. My checker flag goes to the hamster baby, Denny Hamlin, who will retire at JGR with FedEx if anybody questions that. And he will win a championship as well. I made that prediction right here, right now. This is Denny Hamlin's year to win a NASCAR Cup championship. I'm done. Holler at y'all. You can catch me next Tuesday right here on Race Chat Live. I am Mike dropping out the door. Holler. See ya. Bye. Uh, Chris, question? Yeah. Uh, I should have slammed the door. Did you come out of the Dave Matthews Band concert okay? Because uh, you don't make predictions that bold like that. I know you make some bold ones, but, jeez, I, I, I feel like something happened after that Dave Matthews Band concert plus an extra week. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I have been on it tonight. I got sweat coming off my forehead. Maybe it's the light. Maybe it's the southern heat. But man, oh man, y'all got me on it. Y'all got me on it tonight, guys. Y'all got me on it. Denny Hamlin gonna win the championship this year. Lord have mercy. I gotta back that up for the rest of the season. You better, because wow. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Dave Matthews Band did something to you. Why, why would Dave Matthews? It was the heat. I promise you. Look, we literally had to move because it was so crowded. And it was so close together, and it was outside on the pavement. We, when people started getting into their rows and stuff, I started looking around left, and I had people on my left. And then they come to my right, and they were on my right. And literally, like, it was like 12 of us in a row there that was bumper to bumper. I could smell people's breath. I was like, okay, man, I got to get out of here. I, I eventually, we never returned to those seats. It wasn't because the man had bad breath, really. It wasn't that. But it was just when you're in Mississippi and you're dealing with the smell – of people, you're dealing with certain things, man. The best thing to do is get out in the open, get some fresh air, and uh, yeah. So uh, I, I, maybe I, maybe I did suffer a little bit of heat exhaustion or something there, Taz Taylor. But I've been excited all week uh, to come on and and tell you guys about how I believe Denny Hamlin is the man, and he has uh, stepped above what we've known Denny Hamlin to be. Maybe it's hey uh, that a whole uh, I'm out of here soon anyway. I'm going to tell it like it is. But uh, he found his inner Tony Stewart. Remember, remember too, Kyle Busch and Denny Hamlin were teammates with Tony Stewart. So there is a little bit of Tony Stewart in those two drivers. Well, first off, he's got to make it through the first round, quite possibly the second round, but then into the third and the fourth. And if he makes it into the fourth, he'll probably do what he always does, which is <laughs> choke. Uh, I, that's a pretty bold prediction to make early, buddy. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, I ain't scared. <laughs> so uh, what we got coming up next? I, I actually like this segment of Checker Flag, Black Flag. I like to see Chris get riled up every once in a while and it not be at me. 
<laughs> Look, Dad laughs at that as if it's true. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Listen, I don't know about you. y'all, but I I don't know about y'all, but I'm a day behind. So I thought all day oh, today was Monday. Let's see. So we got to figure out segments now because Chris goes off on black flag checker flag. Craig goes off on what grinds his gears. Guys, I'm behind the eight ball. I don't know what. We'll figure that out later. We're not getting into it now. But now you have some. Uh, you hopefully you have some dirt track update to bring us, right? I mean, dirt season is in full force. The snow is hopefully gone out of New York. Hopefully, I mean, it is the first of June tomorrow. Uh, y'all should be in full force. What what went on this weekend at Fonda there, Taz Taylor? Uh, well, I went ahead and viewed the Chrome news too, but. Friday was a washout pretty much anywhere you went up here in New York. So Saturday, uh, Fonda had their – it was a normal weekly race night. Um, basically, it was the first – oh, we, normal weekly race night slash um, first of six races for the Thunder on the three-way series between Fonda and Utica-Rome. Three races at Fonda, three races at Utica-Rome. Uh, Fonda just helped having to host the first round of it. Uh, they, the Sunoco modified had 30 laps, $4,000 to win. Stuart Friesen uh, got the got the win out of that one with about I think it was like two or three laps to go after after trailing second um, for ninth for about a good portion of that feature. Behind Craig Hansen. So Stuart Friesen with the win. Dimitri Strello second. Craig Hansen third. Matty D. Matt DiLorenzo uh, finished fourth. Chris Curtis, the top five. Bobby Varon sixth. Jack Lane seventh. Mark Johnson eighth. Danny Creedon ninth. And RJ Ronnie Johnson, the top ten. Uh, over into the Crate 602 Sportsman feature, 25 laps, $1,500 to win. It was Cody Clark picking up his second win of the season. Over Peyton Talbot, Brian Calabrese, Chad Edwards, and Tim Dwyer, the top five. Brett Mortensen, sixth. Craig Havlicek, seventh. Chip Constantino, eighth. Dan Santa Barbara, ninth. And Troy Palmer, the top ten. Moving over to the Algonquin Pro Stock feature, 20 laps, $1,000 to win. Nick Stone remains undefeated in six weeks of Fonda Speedway racing in the division. He goes six for six. He picks up the win over... Luke Horning, Bull Ballard, Kenny Gates, and Gary Silkey, the top five. Jason Morrison in sixth. Chucky D, Chuck Dombluski in seventh. Zach Sorrentino in eighth. Ivan Jocelyn, ninth. And Kyle Horde, the top ten. Moving over to the Montgomery County Office for the Aging Limited Sportsman feature, 15 laps of distance. It was Zach Dufel picking up win number two on the season. Tom D'Angelo, second. Bob Roback, third. Mike Arnold, fourth. Craig Holy. The top five, Walter Cook, sixth, Lane Hill, seventh, Michael Kalkbrenner, eighth, Gus Cambrillas, ninth, and Timmy Wilmot, the top ten. And moving over to the Fonda Fair four-cylinder class, it was the Holland, the Hollenbeck brothers sweeping streak still continues as Ken Hollenbeck in, gets the win in the single cams, Kerry Hollenbeck in the dual cams, followed by Chris Hall, Zach Blue, Todd Morey, T.J. Merlet. Uh, Wayne Russell Jr., Christopher Jennings Sr., Gina Voris, and Zach McSpirit. Up next for the Thunder and the Thruway Series is this coming Friday at Utica Rome Speedway. 
And next up for Fonda as well um, is going to be uh, CRSA 305 Sprint Cars, their first appearance at the Track of Champions for 2022. We'll also feature the weekly classes of the Modifieds, Crate 602 Sportsman, Pro Stocks, Limited Sportsman, and the four cylinder in the fun affair for cylinders. Uh, $13 admission, uh, driving, um, hip, driving options are still there. And we'll get to Glenn Ridge here really quick as I was actually kind of glancing over their website uh, before we got to this segment. So, um, the Glenn Ridge Motorsports Park race uh, Sunday night. They had the Red Chair Dirt Car Sportsman go 30 laps this week. Andrew Buff, the winner over Brian Calabrese, Tony Ferrone, Justin Buff, and Michael Wagner Fitzgerald, the top five. And the Yurkowitz Auto Crushers Dirt Car Pro Stocks for 20 laps. Luke Horning stays perfect. Uh, four for four, I believe. I could be wrong on that. Um, he gets the win over Jay Fitzgerald, Mike White, Andy Graves, and Ken Allen, the top five. And the Cherko Fusco Realty Limited Sportsman for 20 laps. Mike Hill with the win over Butchie Irwin in second. Dylan Grogan third. Nick Arnold fourth. And Phil Arnold the top five. In the street stock division, it was Adam Trenka with the win over Josh Samroff in second. Matt Mosier third. Jason Samroff fourth. And Dominic Deneu the top five. In the dirt car dual cam mini stocks, it was Norman Lamphere with the win over Dale Van Allen, David Frame, Chad Hoffman, Jamie Warner. Jack Minery, Ariana Schultz, uh, Billy Hillman, and Gina Voris. In the single cam mini stocks, Jay Ingersoll Jr. with the win over Wayne Russell Jr., Blaze Post, Bruce Little, and TJ Marlett. In the Northeast Paving and Steel Co. All-Star Slingshots, Danny Ballard with the win over Brett Putnam, Kirsten Swartz, Nancy Bose, and Joe Melius, the top five. In the Junior Slingshots, it was Connor Crane over Avery Decker, Braxton Martin, E.J. Hatch, and Sloan Cherko, the top five. And big news coming out of the Glenridge Motorsports Park on Sunday, June 12th. The Modifieds return to the to the fastest quarter mile on dirt. Uh, the 358 Modifieds will be racing that night. They will return to Glenridge Motorsports Park. If you are a driver, a 350 modified driver, looking to race at, um, race at this track on that date, uh, get a hold of Glenridge Motors Park. They are looking for confirmed uh, modified entries to announce. I do know that they have announced Cubs um, Billy August as the first entry. He'll be in as long along with Lance Willicks and the Hartford Hurricane Jim Introne Jr. I haven't seen any other announcements as of yet, but that is what we got going on up here in the Northeast. And, of course, um, the Short Track Super Series Cajun region for down south uh, wrapped up their racing weekend at uh, Super B Speedway, almost at Chatham Speedway. Uh, They wrapped up their racing at uh, Super B Speedway. And big news coming out of them as well. Um, Last week, they picked up a big title sponsor of Ollie's Bargain Outlet. So now they're the 
uh, Short Track Super Series, Ollie's Bargain Outlet, Cajun Region. Um, Tommy Rasco did pick up the win at Super B Speedway. Caleb Dillard, Alan Myers, Keith Adiali, Cody Adams, Richard Holt, Cody Robbins, Gene Boyder, Richard Reynolds, Corey Olt, Thomas Holt, Brent Buckley, Mike Croppengold, Danny Bagley, and Roger Erickson round out the field. And that will quickly wrap up what I got. All right, and so we've got a little bit of report to come out from the dirt world down on in our region. I do want to cover uh, the Mississippi Street Stock Series race this past weekend at Pike County. Uh, that was won by none other than Chadwick Thrash, Joe Chad Thrash, uh, did it again in the 54 Project X Machine. Uh, Mickey Steele out of Palak, Louisiana, uh, he finished second. Hayden Moran who is leading the Mississippi Street Stock Series points by about 20 points, I believe. Uh, he finished third coming off that big win a few weeks ago at Cherokee. Mickey Trotz-Glair, the Lilling, Louisiana driver, finished fourth. And John Oakley's, uh, Oakley Johns uh, finished fifth. That was on the Street Stock, Mississippi Street Stock Series uh, that was racing at Pike County this past weekend. We'll jump on over to Magnolia uh, Motor Speedway. Magnolia. They ran the uh, the world. Uh, um, uh, it was the 602 Sportsman uh, World, I believe 100 or something to that. To, to that. Now that may be. Uh, I think I'm picking up the old door there. Uh, but uh, so let's see. The Sportsman World Champions, I should say, uh, from the uh, 602 Crate Racing USA Sportsman Late Model Division. First of all, there was 30 something cars. Uh, 31 cars that had signed up for the uh, Street Stock Series class over in Pike County. Now, this was a little bit bigger car count in the 602 World Championship uh, race. Uh, there was 56 entries, guys, 56 602 Sportsman late model cars. That is an awesome uh, car count. We've seen crate rates in USA late models and sportsman cars off their car count a lot this year. We've seen a lot of crate rates in USA uh, cars that uh, divisions that haven't had full car counts. So to see 56 uh, uh, cars show up uh, for the uh, World Championship race really uh, put a lot of promoters at ease knowing that these cars are still out there. Um, Bailey Callahan, man, out of Ware, Mississippi, he picked up that big $5,000 to win race check. And uh, I tell you what, he put his, his name on that list. Mario Gresham out of Rome, Georgia. Finished second. Kyle Shaw, one of the favorites rolling into this race, finished third. Tyler Burgess. Tyler Tyler is the one to beat, really, when it comes to these big races. Tyler doesn't run mostly uh, weekly racing series races. He only comes out for the big checks. And uh, almost did it again uh, this past weekend at Magnolia Motor Speedway. Uh, Adam Cummings uh, rounded out the top five there. But to have 56 uh, sportsman late model cars uh, show up for the world championship race, is really a good thing. Also, I believe Eldora race. Uh, d- does anybody have the, uh, the turbo? Tyler Herb uh, won the Eldora race, the the World uh, 100 up at Eldora there in Ohio. It was, they claimed rough track. Uh, there was a, quite a few complaints of how rough the track was. Uh, once again, Tony Stewart catches the rip. Of course, he's over uh, doing drag racing right now uh, with him and his wife and. Uh, um, so like his race team, they're saying he's not at the shop enough now at the dirt track. He's not at the dirt track enough. 
You know, Tony Stewart has a lot his hands on a lot of pots, but he has the proper infrastructure for all these organizations and 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 uh, but a place like Eldora, they're not run by Tony Stewart alone. I promise you, there are people that are within those those jobs that uh, deal with the day to day operations. So uh, you know, you give him a little bit of slack there. I know it was a rough track up there, but man, we've had some uh, a lot of heavy rains and stuff. I know uh, you can probably ask CJ Sports. I'm sure he's battled. Uh, the elements this spring, just like the rest of us have. So uh, that does it for our uh, our weekly uh, racing series uh, size. Normally we get 30 minutes this time. We had to speed it up a little bit because we're short on time. Um, we have a fan question that has been submitted before we move into our uh, discussion of St. Louis and Portland. I'm excited about Portland, but uh, and I'm also excited about St. Louis, but are the Gateway racetrack. But I believe we may leave there disappointed. And we'll cover that in Monday's headlines today. So let's lead, let's read the uh, fan question. Uh, Taz, do you want to read it or do you want me to read it? Okay, I'll read it real quick. Okay. Um, so uh, in looking ahead of NASCAR's future, and this is this was uh, done by Miss Rebecca as always. Um, how about this? In looking ahead to NASCAR's future, I've read of the possibility of running a possibility of a debut of a hybrid car running on some of the road courses by 2024 and using braking to put power back into the batteries. I'm all for renewable energy, but not so much this is, but not so sure this is the right decision or direction for racing. What are your thoughts? And I told her immediately, I could not wait to hear what you guys thoughts were uh, because of course I'm kind of probably not on the same side of the fence as y'all are. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, 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 I want to see where y'all stand on this. So I'm going to start with you, Taz. What do you feel? How do you feel about, uh, NASCAR maybe going to a hybrid type motor? And it was something that she put in here that, that kind of caught me off guard because I didn't know that they were using this technology or thinking about using the type of technology that basically through braking is the kinetic energy. And that is going to create the energy to go back into the motor. This was a technology invented by Elon Musk when he put forth the uh, the big trucks. And, you know, he's got some big trucks that he's uh, looking to debut, and these uh, power their four motors off of kinetic energy uh, created by the brake system. He said in, in his uh, thing with the debut of these trucks that you would no longer have to change brakes ever again uh, because they're, they're designed to last forever. Uh, but with that being said, Taz Taylor, what are your thoughts on a future hybrid race car in the Cup division or in NASCAR? Uh, I believe Miss Lee, she's already made her statement on how she feels about that. We'll read that as soon as I let you and Craig uh, 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 give your thoughts. The hybrid car um, is a touchy subject because I heard that there was going to be like a hybrid. I- Car type series, it was gonna be like a stock carish type thing. Um, I've only heard very few things of this, um, but I don't think it was happening in the NASCAR level, which is, I think, is perfect because um, I don't think NASCAR needs to really go into this electric route. I would like to see if anything they need to go electric in racing per se. Um, in pertaining to the stock car world, I would like to see it go do its own thing. 
That way, it kind of separates itself from the rest of the motorsports world. But if they were even to do that, the problem is going to be the drivers you're going to get and how long your schedule is going to be because you're go- you're only going to have X amount of drivers, so you're only going to have X amount of cars. So I, as much as I kind of would like to see as its own thing, um, I personally think it it doesn't make a whole lot of sense in the racing business, maybe. So I, so personally, I would say, I would say keep it out of NASCAR. Keep, it's got to stay out of there because um, you're gonna you're gonna kill a lot of you're you're gonna hurt a lot of fan base, I think, and you're going to hurt um, you're going to hurt a lot of big name. Uh, Big name uh, suppliers that help NASCAR make what NASCAR is. Craig. All right. I'll expand on what Chad says a little bit. Uh, I agree it needs to stay in NASCAR as a whole. Um, not only are you going to alienate a lot of fans, but you're going to make a lot of people angry. Uh, we. we We've heard NASCAR fans say for years that the sports got away from tradition. And going hybrid just expands their argument as to we're getting away from the tradition. We went, we got rid of carburetors. We went to fuel injectors. They, they complained about that. Um, now you want to go, now you want to go electric. Here's a reason not go electric. Uh, maybe not for, Maybe not for NASCAR, but but in general, look at that big snowstorm we had on the East Coast earlier this year. It's pretty much if you had an electric car and you were sitting on I-95, you were pretty much dead where you sat. So because you had to keep it running, I just don't think NASCAR. I, I think NASCAR needs to really look into this and deeply consider if this is the move they want to make for their brand. If they do, great, but I think it's going to hurt a lot of people in the end. That's my thought. All right. Um, let's get to Miss Lee's thought real quick, and then I'll give you uh, mine. Um, hold on one second. All right. How do I go? Oh, yeah. um, Oopsie. Okay, she says, I'm not a fan of NASCAR going electric. Let that be its own series. If they want to go that route, have the experience of being at the race with the sound and smells, leave that woke crap out of racing, period. I love Miss Lee. I think that she's dead on for how most race fans feel. But now here is where I stand on it, okay? NASCAR, as you said, Craig, you, you, you made a perfect example. When they went from carburetor to fuel injection, everybody, oh, it's the end of the world. When you went from five lug nuts to one lug nut, oh, it's the end of the world. Look, not the end of the world. If we, if NASCAR is a show-off of production vehicles, then we should be running SUVs, and we should be running hybrid SUVs because that's what's selling on Monday. And if NASCAR wants to continue that fold, what, what wins on Sunday sells on Monday, they're not selling pony cars on Monday because you win in NASCAR. So, you, you know, you, you create a whole SUV series, and you use this hybrid motor, uh, similar to the way Formula E did 
many years ago. They they formed a a formula type race car that is all electric. It is all electric, and not only that, but halfway through the race, they get out of the race car and they get in another race car that's built just like that one, and they go race the rest of the half of the race. So. You know, obviously that was when Formula E first started. I'm not sure if they still do it that way. Hopefully they have enough life in these batteries now to last. I am not against at all going with a hybrid-type motor. And I'm going to give you some stuff real quick that, that I've done research on. All right. The next, the NASCAR next-gen car uses a rear transaxle that can accommodate an electric motor that supports the E15-powered V8. That was done by Toyota. And then this is something from an article that I pulled up, and I shared it to you guys. All right, while there aren't any plans to go for the top NASCAR series to go electric, the next-gen cars that were launched this year were future-proofed to accommodate hybrid powertrains that Steve O'Donnell had previously said could be used as soon as 2024. They likely would be first be featured on short ovals, road courses, when their regenerative braking systems could recover energy as the car slowed down for corners, which would then be used by the electric motor for a burst of acceleration. Formula One cars currently use hybrid powertrains. Any cars planning to introduce them in 2024 NASCAR's three automakers, Ford, Toyota, and Chevrolet, are all heavily into electrification. Ford and Toyota are leaders in the hybrid space and adding electric vehicles in their lineups, while Chevrolet has pledged to go all electric by 2035. A little bit more for us. The race has to be entertaining. Our fans, they love noise. They love the sound, the feel of racing. So if we're going to get into the electric space, I promise you, it will be entertaining and it will be something that fits into our portfolio and something our fans would be proud of. So that's kind of counterintuitive to what, you know, um, you can't have quiet race cars running around sounding like Jetsons, uh, the little power pads, uh, and, and, and still appeal to straight gearheads who are all about that horsepower and the noise. Um, so it, I, I'm, I'm kind of for it. I want to see it happen. I think that the developmental – the, uh, the engineering is there uh, to do this, to make this leap. At the same time, we still need to have that V8 sound because that is what that's what we're there for. When we go to the racetrack, we want to hear those powerful V8s roaring past us. So uh, do I think that maybe we should have a series, maybe replace or maybe add to the truck series, replace the ARCA series with a hybrid series? I'm not sure. Maybe we just add a whole nother series and call it the SUV hybrid series. I, I don't know, but uh, there's definitely room for it, and I don't want to be like all the naysayers were with the carburetors and the one lug nuts and the different tires. I want to give NASCAR a chance to develop this and make it uh, for what the race fans want. Am I am I an electric, all-electric geek? Not by any means. I think that it's a power structure. Their power companies are owned by the federal government. And it just so happens that these people want to take fossil fuel energy and create power for cars by converting it into electricity, which is burning still the same type of fuels that we would need to power uh, gas-powered cars. So it, it, it doesn't make any sense. I'm not all for the, the only green that this initiative is about is green money in people's pockets. And I think that that was said uh, by our, our person who submitted 
the fan question. Man, oh, man. I mean, I think that is the longest we've ever discussed a fan question, but by God, it was a good one. And uh, we hey, want to thank you, Mr. Rebecca, uh, for, for, for bringing that forth. Yes, yes. What is it, Craig? Hey, I think we, you know what, just hell with it. Why don't we just do a Prius series, and then we can all hear, mm, I'm gay, going around <laughs> the track. <laughs> oh, Lord, have mercy. Oh, Lord, have mercy. So I don't know if that word's ever been used here on this radio show, and if it offended anybody, then I'm sorry. But you know what, Greg, you hit the nail on the head. I endorse everything that you just said. And, uh, my gosh, if we had a cartoonist, we, I would love to have that drawn up uh, with the uh, with with that there. Uh, just yeah, we'd absolutely. probably get in trouble by Jeff Dunham and Peanut, but, you know, hey. <laughs> all right, all right. So we're going to St. Louis, guys, and we're going to Portland, two places that we've not been, not, not been to St. Louis on the cup side. We've been there in Xfinity, and we've been there in trucks many times, Gateway, I should say, Gateway, Worldwide Technologies Raceway. Uh, but we're going to Portland over here. It's a new road course that we've never been to. It, it should be exciting this weekend to have two places that we've never been. I'm kind of worried about the St. Louis racetrack being a cup facility. I don't think that it has the proper infrastructure. We've ran into situations where they've had light issues there. Um, so, you know, that, that says that the infrastructure is not uh, readily available to handle these types of events. Um, I, I'm, the only thing that I think that's going for the people of that area is they have subway systems. So uh, they do have ways of getting people in and out of the area. Um, and also, from what I'm understanding, all parking is prepaid. So uh, there will be people that are uh, that have already got their spots paid for. I guess preferred parking is what the, we're kind of used to when it's dealing with that type of situation when you're paying uh, to park. So uh, they know how many cars they got to park. They know where they're going to park. Uh, some people will be coming from the city side using the transit. Um, so uh, thought on this upcoming race here at St. Louis at the Gateway Raceway or the racetrack known as Worldwide Technologies Raceway. Please, I'll start with you, Craig Moore, because I've gone to task too many times in the beginning. Uh, your thoughts real quick on what we're about to see uh, at uh, Gateway uh, Worldwide Technologies Raceway and the Portland Racetrack. We'll start with, with the Worldwide Technology. Go ahead, Craig. Well, I'm excited. I mean, I think it'll be, I think it'll be good. Um, I was trying to figure it out when I heard it announced this weekend. On I'm like, where the hell is that track? And then when they said it was out in St. Louis, I'm like, hey, a new market. Awesome. Let's see how long this track lasts. So, you know, we'll have to see how it. We'll have to see how long it lasts. If it's a, if it's a hit, uh, I'm I'm happy for them. Uh, I hope it's a big success. We'll just have to see what. Uh, what the racing is like and what the attendance is like. Now, do you know whether or not it sold out, Chris? I'm not sure. I believe that it was close to a sellout already. Uh, so, you know, it's not a humongous facility, Craig. It's only like a 40,000 capacity uh, facility. So uh, it shouldn't be hard to sell out. And remember, guys, this is kind of, as you said, the location, 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 Craig. I'm glad that you said that because we just lost the Chicago Land Raceway in that market. This is, you know, about 150 miles south of of where Chicago Land was. 
But basically, they were told us that they took Chicago land off because there's too many tracks there altogether with Kentucky Speedway and Chicago land. That it was just you know right, Kansas so and all these other tracks. They were all too close together. So while we're going to a market that's literally only 150 miles down the road from another facility that we're no longer able to race at, I'm scratching my head. I can't really get it figured out because it seems like we're taking a step backwards versus a state-of-the-art facility versus a facility that really hasn't had any renovations in the last 20 years other than a repave. Um, so, uh, yes, um, uh, was I supposed to answer a question there? I kind of got lost. Taz, you want to feel it? Yeah. I'm going to send it to Taz. Taz. Uh, Gateway, um, trucks have found some decent racing there. I'm hoping that it will translate to the Cup. Um, so I'm hoping to see that we get good racing out of it. Uh, as far as Portland goes, different market to hit up. Um, we'll see how it goes, but I would expect some of your big – road course guys to be up front as usual but i'm interested to see how a nascar stock car will handle running around that little place well we wondered that with the dome too so right or with Chicago, or i'm sorry with the coliseum out there in la and you see what we got out of that well we go back into past history this is this is the racetrack where the whole uh, Carl Edwards, I believe, versus Kyle Busch, was it not? Where all that fiasco started. And I believe this is the racetrack where Ricky Stenhouse, was that? Maybe that was another racetrack. But anyway, I think that this is where the feud in the Xfinity series, then known as the Nationwide series, between Carl Edwards and Kyle Busch, if I'm not mistaken, got got the feud started uh for, for an Xfinity race, nationwide race that was there. Can't really remember because it was really a long time ago, but this facility's been used a lot, but it's been for the lower series. The uh, the uh, And we kept saying short track, short track, short track. So we can't be mad that NASCAR made this move, but we do, I mean, it is what it is. We're going to the smaller market. We're going to fill, hopefully, these, these seats up. It's going to be a great race. Portland, Xfinity is going to Portland. And I don't know, this is like, this is, when they talk about cost consumption and, and, and stuff, we're going all the way to Oregon, y'all, all the way to the coast of Oregon, okay, the Pacific coast of Oregon. Um, that's, that's <laughs> you know, yeah, that, that's quite expensive, guys. Uh, I'm not sure if we're heading in the right direction by taking one of our smaller series and sending them. 3,000, 3,500, maybe even 4,000 miles away uh, to a road course that we've never been to. I'm excited about going there, but once again, I scratch my head because it doesn't seem like this is affordable. This isn't cost efficient for one of our lower series teams to go out there by themselves and run a race. Uh, when we go to the West Coast quite a few times, you could carry the whole crew no, this is a standalone race, so Xfinity will be at Portland. Um, let's let's hear you guys' thoughts real quick. As we 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 talked about Gateway, we talked about the Worldwide Technology Race Track, we talked about Cup being there in debut. Uh, now Portland Xfinity, where do we go from here? Tad. 
What's that, Chris? I think mean, Portland. We're going to Portland. We're going 4,000 miles away. We're going to Portland. All right. Nobody has really any information on this racetrack. What do you expect? What are the expectations? I don't know if I really have any. I'm kind of open-minded. Open-minded. I like that. I like that. And we can leave it at that. Craig. Sorry, I had to unmute. My expectations are it's going to be what it turns out to be. It could be it could be a heck of a show, and it could be uh, a total disaster. Uh, I, I'm leaning towards it's going to be a heck of a show, but we shall see. You're sending us 4,000 miles away to a new venue. It better be great. It better be magnificent. And it better be a top-notch facility. It better be clean. It better be ready. It better, you know, I mean, expectations for this have to be huge. Because I remember going to Montreal, and that is a beautiful road course up there. And it met every expectation from the the beauty of the racetrack to the friendliness of the French-speaking Montreal, Quebec people, to, you know, uh, just great racing. And, and at that time, you know, you had guys uh, you had guys and gals like Danica Patrick, Sam Hornish, uh, Robbie Gordon still racing the series. Uh, so, you know, there was a lot of great road course racers uh, that were mixed into that time when we raced in Montreal. I feel like this track is a lot similar to Montreal, and hopefully we'll get the same uh, reception that we did there. That I know people are a little bit different in Portland. Uh, obviously, they're a little bit democratic over in that area of the world. Uh, but uh, hopefully uh, there's going to be, you know, the bleachers are going to be full with a lot of race fans who are ready to uh, see our best Xfinity drivers put on a great show because most of this year the Xfinity has been the best show, and there's a lot of great names in there. I believe a lot of names are going to stand out, especially uh, some of the veterans. They're going to kind of separate themselves uh, from some of the – Okay, so I'll shut up and we can do picks. Let's do that. Chris, you pick first. No, I don't want to pick first. Too bad. That's how the points reverse go. <laughs> All right. So let's see. Uh, truck series. Ah, uh, man, Grand and Finger. All right, he comes to mind like real quick. Grand and Finger. He's been here. He's raced at this racetrack. He's been in the series long enough. He has data. He knows what he needs out of his race truck. These trucks have not changed over you know, the last 20 years. Grant Infinger is going to have what it takes to win at a place like the Gateway uh, Raceway, Worldwide Technology Raceway, whatever you want to call it. When you get over to the uh, Xfinity Series, I- I'm going out here because everybody knows that you know this is a road course and we all like to pick the same driver, but I cannot leave this driver it's just better to go ahead and take him. I've got A.J. Allmendinger. No surprise there. I've got Dinger for picking up the win in the Xfinity Series all the way out in Portland. There's no data for this race, so there's nobody that has an advantage on racing at this racetrack. Uh, so you're going to go on, on pledged experience. Of course, you're going to find that, uh, of course, with, uh, with, with uh, A.J. Allmendinger. On the cup side. Uh, you know, I scratch my head again uh, because I just – there's not really – there's not uh, any information from this racetrack. We don't have any Larry Max trends. Uh, so, you know, we're just going to have to go out there and try to pick, 
the one that we think is going to win. And, you know, um, I'll revert back to somebody who has previous experience at this racetrack. I've been on a roll with him all year long. I believe he's going to finish with the best season at Hendrick Motorsports. Even though I can't stand Hendrick, I'm going to pick him once again this week because I've got to make up some points. I'm, I'm pretty far back here in the back. So the board says Hendrick's got a chance to win better than anybody else. Odds are like 60, 40, maybe even better than that. Uh, so I'm going to go with William Byron as my pick uh, to win uh, the uh, debut, the inaugural cup race at Gateway Raceway or uh, Worldwide Technologies, whatever it's called. So next. All right. So I'm next for picks. I'm going – uh, I'm going basic. Uh, Zane Smith for the trucks uh, for the Xfinity. Um, I didn't. Almendinger was a name to pick, but I'm going. I figured Almendinger would have been a popular pick, so I'm going with my second choice, uh, Justin Allgaier. I'm going with the Gator for Xfinity at Portland. And for my Cup pick, he's won in the Truck Series at this track before. So I'm going. To, I relied on a little bit of experience here, and I'm hoping that his his hot streak uh, continues at a track that he's won at before. So if you don't know where I'm going with this, well now you know because it's uh, my pick is the Melon Man, Ross Chastain, which leads to Mr. CJ. I don't think we got his picks, so it goes to Miss Lee who I think went to her default of Nematode, Dinger, and and Lala. Which leaves to Mr. Craig Moore. All right. So, Miss Lee says John Hunter, Nematode, Dinger, and Larson. So, I'm going to go. I'm going to agree. You actually took my truck pick. So, I'm going to side with you. I'm going to go with Zane Smith. My my Xfinity pick is going to be uh, I don't I didn't see an entry list so maybe you can help me out with this I'm going to go with Josh Berry um, and my oh, cup crap. pick I'm going to go with my cup pick and my cup pick is going to be. None other than everybody's favorite amigo, Daniel Suarez. Woo! Crack house driver. Good job, good job. And, Craig, you've got a hell of a lead. We say crack house or track house. I couldn't hear it. Yeah. You're doing great, man. You are are lighting the world up with your picks, man. Man, oh, man. So be watching Daniel Suarez. (laughs) Craig's been a hell hell of a picker this year. Look, Monday's headline today is we're closing things out. Uh, like a firecracker, NASCAR goes boom. So, in other words, this weekend we had another great weekend. Uh, we're putting Texas behind us. We had a solid, I mean, one of the best weekends ever to Coca-Cola 600. Now we're going to go to Worldwide Technologies Raceway, and we're going to catch that place on fire. Like a firecracker, boom, everything's great in NASCAR. Good job at more Portland. Uh, successful race, successful race in St. Louis. Uh, boom, boom, boom. Monday's headlines today, real quick, Craig, so we can let you go get out of here so you can go to bed. Uh, I'm going to say it's uh, Worldwide Technology Park continues the trend of great racing. 
All right, all right. Now, Dad Taylor, before we sound out. Uh, Gateway performs Portland in the snooze. Ooh. Did we miss anything? Anybody got anything? Anything we missed? We missed anything? No, I don't think so. Oh, I mean, yeah, we've got plenty of time. I always book over. I always book over. Um, Kentucky is nowhere near Chicago or St. Louis. Yeah, okay, wait a minute, though. It really is. Like, it really is. Like, it takes you two whole days to get across the state of Texas. You can literally get from Kentucky to Missouri in, like, six hours. So, it's really – you don't let elementary school math fool you. Texas is humongous, and it takes forever just to get through the state of Texas. You're you're crossing from Kentucky over to St. Louis. It's really not that far. Uh, I've gone from the bottom of of Indiana, Indiana all the way to the top of Illinois, and that, my friends, was one of the longest rides I've ever experienced in my life. So uh, Illinois is a pretty long state. It's like going from the bottom of Texas up to the north side, to the top of it. But anyway. Thank you guys for listening to the show here tonight. Thank you for being a part of the show. Miss Rebecca, thank you for the fan question. Oh, my gosh, it was so great to be back on the air tonight. I was excited. I was pumped up. I've been refreshed. A couple of weeks off, it did a body good. So I hope everybody else enjoyed the excitement, the flair, and the bang that happened all night tonight. Uh, I want to thank Taz Taylor. I want to thank Craig Moore. I want to thank our uh, production manager, uh, Miss Lee. I want to thank our CEO and the captain. Uh, Mr. CJ Sports. Make sure you check out his show on Monday. Make sure that you check out our show on Tuesday. Make sure that you're still around, sticking around for the Southern Dirt Track Report. The hottest podcast on the 110 Nation right now is the Southern Dirt Track Report. Make sure that y'all listen to Artie on Thursday night and the launch of our new show, the Jay Dillon Show. That shows on Sunday night. He took last week off for the uh, because there was a lot of racing going on up here. So he's getting ready for his second episode this Sunday night. You can find us on all kinds of podcasts. Uh, you can find us on YouTube. You can find us on iHeartRadio. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on blah, 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 blah. I'm going to send it to you, Taz, because everybody's tired of hearing me talk. All right. So thank you, everyone, for listening in to Race Chat Live tonight. We'll be back again next Tuesday with Colin Bell, the Short Track Super Series, Ollie's Bargain Outlet, Cajun Region uh, series announcer will be ha- will have be joined by him next Tuesday, and of course we'll see you at the same bat time, same bat place next Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central. And you, this has been the Caution Flag Racing Radio. Chris Creighton, the DJ Music Man, Craig Moore. I'm the Tasmanian Double Flaggers. Taz Taylor saying good night. We'll see you next Tuesday. Good night, everybody. Just a good old boy Never meaning no harm He's all you never saw Been in trouble with a long Since the day they were born Straight in the curb Right in the hills The days of mountain bike And over the long road the only way they know how. Well, that's just a little bit more than the whole
If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. 